Bloody Elbow presents The Mookie and Crookie Show, a spin-off of the Level Change podcast that goes a little more in-depth on major combat sports news, as well as takes a humorous look at the crazy world of combat sports social media. Here are your hosts, Mookie Alexander and Steffi Haynes. Hello and welcome to episode 178 of the Mookie and Crookie Show. I'm your host, Mookie Alexander, joined as always by Stevie Haynes. And this week, we look back at a fantastic UFC San Diego card, plus news on yet another MMA retirement, two even. Uh, Yuri versus Glover, the rematch, and more. But first, Steffi, that was a wild event. We didn't have every fight end in a finish like the card before that, but it was still extremely entertaining. And for my money, it was a better card than last week's. It really was. I mean, you got... From the beginning to the end, you really got some compelling fights on that card. I loved them all. I mean, there there wasn't really a fight on there that made me go, God, I wish I wasn't watching this. Even the heavyweights managed to keep my eyeball on them a little bit. Although I I did have a problem with the decision with that Brzezinski fight, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Anyways, it was it was a very good card. I'm so glad I sat down and watched all of it. Yeah, I had to split my viewing up because I watched the prelims live and then the Seahawks had a preseason game. So I covered that and I missed the entire main card. So I caught up with it yesterday and man, that this show really delivered. The prelims were, were very good. Like there was only one bad fight, I would say. And unfortunately, it was the, the Nunes Calvillo oh, yeah, fight. Oh, yeah, that went. I forgot about that. But even there, I think the post fight moment made it okay. You know? Yes, it, it, that's what, what made up for it, because everything else was just, I, I enjoyed it. And the crowd was, was just electrifying. I mean, it's 12,000 people. It sounded like 40,000 in there because you had right. so many. You had Cruz's fans. It felt like there were more Marlon Vera fans in the in the arena than Cruz fans. If, if you heard the loud Chito chants and all the Ecuador flags in the building, I mean, that's Cruz's hometown. He's born and raised there. He trains there. He lives there. And it did not feel like a home fight at all for him. It didn't, and I think it comes down to the fact that maybe people identify a little bit more with Cheeto. Cheeto seems like the everyman, and Dom seems like maybe he's the privileged kid here, you know? Well, uh, his privilege got checked at the door, sure thanks did. to Marlon Vera. Uh, and once again, Marlon Vera might have been losing in the strike count, as he was against Rob Font, but this man is a danger 25 out of 25 minutes if it's that far or 15 out of 15 minutes i mean think about it he has lost a significant strike count in his last three fights frankie edgar rob font and dominic cruz he has scored seven knockdowns and two knockout wins and of course he went the distance with font because rob font is ridiculously tough but (laughs) This was a fascinating fight, um, if not for the co-main, which we'll talk about later. I think this would have been a fight of the nine on just about any other show. Um, Cruz clearly was up two rounds to one. There, there's no gray area there. Even with the knockdown that Cruz suffered like in the opening minute and a half of that fight, he still controlled the rest of it. And that was as, a, as aggressive as I've ever seen Cruz right? looking for a knockout mm-hmm. early. And something happened that it felt a little unusual, which is Dominic Cruz was fading. And I think that even if he didn't get knocked out, Vera might have figured him out enough to get the fourth round and, and possibly the fifth. And if it gone that far, Vera would have finished strongly. Um, and that's not what we come to expect from Cruz. But 37 years old, so many injuries. And, you know, the divisions, the division is fantastic. It's always been deep, but it's evolved so much during the times that, that, that Cruz hasn't been fighting a whole lot. And unfortunately for him, these recent fights, Cruz might have been getting wins over Munoz. And, well, he beat Casey Kenny, but he's been rocked against Munoz. He was rocked and stopped by Cejudo. He was rocked by Garbrandt. Now he gets rocked, dropped three times, and then knocked out viciously by, by Marlon Vera. But Chito, can't keep doubting him, man. This, this guy is unbelievable for what he can do creatively. He really is. And I saw a lot of folks on Twitter very impatient with him during the first and second round. Like, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? For me and for my money, I'm glad he's patient and tries to get the timing down and figure out his opponent because it's paying dividends. Look at his fights. I mean, I would like to see that Jose Aldo rematch because I feel like he evolves 
in between each one of the fights too. He just continually gets better and more dangerous. And we've said this a few times on this show, but he fights like he's very, very hungry. And I think that makes a lot of difference. I mean, this is a guy that seems like he's constantly working, striving, always. What's going to happen when he gets there to the title? What happens when he gets the belt, if he gets the belt? But I firmly believe that he'll end up wearing a belt at some point. What's the next striving point? Is it to move up uh, a division and, and control two divisions? Who knows? But I believe everything he says when he says, I'm going to have that belt. I, I firmly believe him. It, it's amazing to me. He's only 29. He's going to be 30 in December, but that he's still in his 20s when mm-hmm. it feels like we've been watching him forever. He's been in the UFC since 2014. Wow. And it, I mean, he, he wasn't even ranked until like a couple of years ago. Yeah. I, probably the O'Malley fight is what got him ranked. And if you're O'Malley, you should be saying, hey, that Vera fight's aging pretty well. Mm-hmm. I might have lost that, but that's aging well instead of pretending that I didn't lose it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for, for Marlon Vera, I was concerned about how much Cruz was bothering his lead leg. That was my only concern because I knew Cruz never had the power to hurt Vera mm-hmm. with this with this boxing. I, you know, people will always marvel at Cruz's footwork, and, and he is historically tricky to hit. I hate watching his punching form. Mm-hmm. Absolutely hate it. It is ugly as shit to watch. And him never sitting down on his punches, I think, is a major reason why he doesn't have that, that type because- of power. Man, he overextends all the time, punches from off his tippy toes while he's leaning. I hate it. Yes, and, and that, for years, this was like some standard for, for effective boxing and footwork and MMA. Um, I'm glad that that's kind of been been put to bed. Like, it's an awkward style that Cruz has done brilliantly to make work for him, but I appreciate his wrestling a lot more than his striking. Mm-hmm. And his wrestling, the first round, I thought, wow, that was an easy takedown. This could be a problem for Vera. But Vera's... The way he timed his sprawls, I mean, it wasn't like those were predictable shots from Cruz, and Vera did very well to to deny him any any takedowns after, I think, early in the second round, he might have gotten him down for like a momentary uh, bit of time. But for Vera, he never bit or overreacted to Cruz's cavalcade of feints right. in ways in ways that other fighters kind of just overreact. Cruz does that to get you to react to something, and that's when he attacks. But Vera fought a very composed fight. So this had an element of Cruz might have been winning some battles, but he was losing the war at the same time. So I think that the Cruz of a few years ago would have won this because he would have leaned on his wrestling more. He would have been more effective. And he probably would have been able to dodge some of, of Vera's shots uh, a little better than he did. But it's 2022, and Vera, he timed Cruz. I mean, every knockdown was hard. Like, the first one was was hard. But Cruz has incredible recuperative powers, you know, up until that head kick. And, boy, I, I said I missed the card, uh, the main card. But when the Seahawks game ended, I flipped to the UFC, and the fourth round of Vera Cruz had just started. So I saw the last uh, m- m- bits of action where Cruz got dropped by a jab, and that one really hurt him. But then the head kick. Mm. And it was right in front of Bisping and Cormier, too. And if anybody's caught up on the story of Cormier and Cruz and sort of the, the uh, remarks Cruz has made about Cormier's commentary, Cormier was oddly, like, not for, for as animated as he is with the reaction cam. It, it, he had, like, a look of concern or disbelief mm-hmm. on his face while yeah. Bisping was going crazy. He really did. And it makes me feel like Dom was way out of line for the way that he sort of just put – Daniel's feet to the fire in the media because he did and it was shitty and the way that Cormier was concerned and was actually talking him up a lot more than he should have there um Cormier did him a solid he really did yeah Bisping Bisping was on one all night but uh you know we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> A bit, a bit more in, in, later on in the show, but Vera, I don't know what's next for him because we kind of got a, like a semi-tournament situation here. Mm-hmm. You got Aldo Devalishvili this Saturday. We have um, uh, Corey Sanhagen and Song Yadong on September the 17th, I believe. So Sean O'Malley's fighting Petr Jan October 22nd, whenever UFC 280 is. So not a lot of available options for Vera at the moment. Of course, he's not going to be fighting next month, right? So he can wait this out and see which opportunity arises. So, you know, it could be a case for, and of course, Sterling Dillashaw's on that same card too with with Jan and O'Malley. 
So there are a lot of options for him. Like the winner of that fight or this fight or that fight. Title shot, probably not next. But I think his next fight, at the very least, should be a number one contender fight. I expect Jan to rip through O'Malley. So with that in mind, I would love to see Petr Jan against Marlon Vera. That or, like I say, the the winner of Dvalishvili Aldo. I, I would like for it to be Aldo, not because I don't like Dvalishvili, because I love him. But I... I I'm a huge Aldo fan, and I would like to see the rematch there. I'd like to see where uh, Cheeto's place in space is at this point. And I think that's the perfect measuring stick right now since he's already, you know, taken a loss to him. Yeah, well, also keep in mind, his last loss was to Song Yadong. Mm-hmm. So there's that option, too. If Yadong yeah. beats Corey Sandhagen, he suddenly is going to be right in the, in the top five mix, too. Yeah. And that's a fight that I wouldn't mind seeing again but over five rounds instead of three for sure i love the idea i would like to see you know where he's at now since those losses yeah i mean and the aldo rematch would be cool but i think if aldo beats devalish really just give him the title exactly yeah i like that too but if they're not inclined to do that and they want to make it a title eliminator it's sitting right there for them yeah but man 135 is just you, you know beautiful. this division you know this division is awesome and like the first fight on this card was that zalal blackshear right? fight and zalal has doesn't have a win to his name in the ufc he's like oh three and one but that fight was really good i mean this this and he dropped to 135 yeah. because he'd been at featherweight but still this division is just stacked beyond belief mm. and for vera this this is his new signature win because dominic cruz i mean Cejudo stopped him and keith peterson Maybe it was a little early. Certainly Cruz believes it. There was no gray area there. Cruz was gone. That is as hurt as we have ever seen him. And Marlon Vera has a bit of Yoel Romero to him, I would think. (laughs) Not in the sense of Vera has, like, he will do, you know, absolutely nothing for for moments at a time. But he is patient, but he's so dangerous. And he doesn't rely on, like, big explosive movements either the way that uh, Romero does. He, He can stay pretty technical. And... Cormier brought it up. He had just missed with a right high kick, I think, in the previous round. And obviously, Vera's corner sent something. And Eric Nixick, the extreme couture coach on, on Twitter, he had also called he had called the shots. He went full Babe Ruth and, and pretty much suggested the exact strike that Vera, that Vera threw. So props to him. That was a fantastic fight. Vera gets a performance bonus. Uh, but he didn't get fired of the night because Nate Landwehr and David Onama had... <laughs> I, I couldn't believe this fight. I thought I thought Onama had this in the bag. And you know what? If Onama didn't punch Landwehr again after the knockdown, he might have gotten a knockout win mm-hmm. because that follow-up shot might have woken him back up. But that was an extraordinary display of heart and toughness, really by both fighters, mm-hmm. because Onama made an amazing push the last couple of minutes of that fight to try and, and he hurt Landwehr too. But it wasn't enough, and Landwehr got the deserved decision. So... You know, Darren Elkins is is, is kind of on his way out in terms of just being the tough guy who takes a beating and comes back and, and gets come back wins, or he just gets starched because that's happened to him too. But Nate Landwehr, who has fought Darren Elkins and beaten him, he is a worthy successor. Yes. And I have to give props to James Krause for keeping David Onama on point. Man, his cornering is just phenomenal. You could hear him in the corner saying, do you want to continue? What do you want to do here? Do you want to do this? Because if you want to do this, we need to do this, this, and this. And he kept his fighter in there because I feel like David Onama was very close to just quitting, you know? And I think James Krause kept him in that fight. And, And to his credit, too, because... As sloppy as it was and as wild as it was, I enjoyed the shit out of it. And I think both fighters, their stock goes up after this. Even Onama's in that loss. He, his stock immediately rises with me. Yeah, some people were t- talking fight of the year. No, to Chara Prohaska, there, there's no debate. I mean, the, the next fight that's better than that is the greatest fight in MMA history. Yeah. So <laughs> if you want to separate the categories, like, best title fight of the year or maybe best fight of the year regardless of how the length of the fight mm-hmm. and best non-title fight of the year this is up there for best non-title for fight sure. of the year because Landwehr I mean and also Landwehr made life hard for himself with the numerous submission attempts mm-hmm. that he, he kept failing on and giving Onama a way back into the fight but the one bits for, for Onama as a featherweight you cannot exhaust yourself in six mm-hmm. minutes 
Nope. I mean, that that's something that Kraus and his team will have to work on. And I wouldn't have been against Kraus if he had stopped the fight at oh, the end of neither. the second. Me neither. But uh, selfishly, I'm glad he didn't. <laughs> yeah, because he he at least pushed and, and tried to throw some some stuff back, and he did land. Um, but the ten eights were were unanimous. It was thoroughly agreeable. Landwer was just wailing on him, and I wish Landwer had gone to the body more because if he had gone to the body on an exhausted man, he might have gotten the finish. But Landwer himself was tired, in part because he had to survive that early onslaught. But also, I mean, that was just two dudes scrapping. Mm. It, it doesn't get any simpler than that. It was two dudes scrapping and and giving a hundred and ten percent. Any cliche, any fight cliche you want, um, was was apparent in that fight and was appropriate for that for that battle and. Think about the, the purses for that co-main because this wasn't supposed to be the co-main. It's supposed to be Grasso and Araujo. Right. But this is in California, so we got the payouts. And, you know, Marlon Vera, $300,000, 150K, 150K cruise, 175000 But your co-main event, Nate Landwehr had 60000 which is 30000 times two. And Onama just 24K. Oh, so God. that extra 50K was, was, was really something. Tell you what, the payouts for this were higher than I thought. You know, $1.7 million payroll for not a lot of ranked fighters. Um, but it is kind of wild that because Dominic Cruz lost, Angela Hill, and as much as I love Angela Hill, like 100, she's, she ended up with a higher purse than Dominic Cruz. That's wow. kind of crazy to think about. Also, I would like to draw attention to the fact that we had a fighter on the card that just made 12000 and put on another fight of the night performance in uh, Yasmin um, Lucindo. Lucindo. You know, she just made $12,000 for that incredible display of heart and grit. And that was an awesome fight. And all she got was twelve grand for it. And I hate when the UFC is tight on their purse strings. When we have phenomenal cards like last weekend and this weekend, and they can't come up off a little extra cheddar. Yeah, well, don't forget, there were some contender series fighters on this card, mm-hmm. and Josh Quinlan, who had, mm-hmm. who basically froze Jason Witts in midair, and then Lucas Breschke, who really should have won that fight. He he's a contender series signing. He only got 10k. So as much as we tell contender series, and d- d- let's not get it twisted, we love the format, we love the show. The fighters are great, and the fights are great. Usually they are at least. But the downside to that is the entry level contract you get on contender series is lower than than even if you're on tough. Now compare that to Yasmin Haragui, who who beat Yasmin Lucindo. But I guess through supposedly other promotions bidding for her services. For her debut, she got 25K, 25K. Yeah. So she wasn't on your standard, like, entry-level stuff because there was so much interest in her. And we can see why, because, you know, that was the fight of the night before Landwehr Onama. Right. And, and that was for, for two fighters making their debuts and me going, like, I'm not really understanding why they're this high up the card. But they brought it. I mean, mm-hmm. that was a very good fight, and it shows you how deep strawweight is because I think – at a minimum, Haragi is going to be up there in, in the top 15 pretty soon. She's got much better, um, much tighter punching technique mm-hmm. and, and regular boxing form than Lucindo. But Lucindo can crack. I mean, she throws to, to knock you out. And um, Lucindo's just 20. I mean, they drilled that into our heads. So I'm going to lead with that little bit right there in that she's just 20. And she's already firing on all cylinders. Give her a little bit more time, experience. I think that she's going to do good things. Yeah, she's she's 20 and Haragi is 23. As Cormier said to the crowd, you just saw a 23-year-old beat a 20-year-old. <laughs> just like, and I just do a, understand what he was trying I, to I, say. I, I get what he meant, which is like yeah. those, those, you tend not to have fights in the UFC where two fighters that young are facing each other, let alone debutants. So it was a, a, a well-matched fight and shows shows me for, for questioning why this was so high up the card. The atmosphere made it great, too, because, you know, San Diego was a stone's throw from, from Tijuana. And that's where Haragi is from. So the, the, the crowd was, was chanting her name. The Mexico chanted everything. It was just a, a great atmosphere and a great fight. Uh, so you had that. You had that Devin Clark uh, stoppage of, by, by Mirza Khanov. I was hurting watching that body shot. I don't know why Clark didn't wrestle. I mean, it was a curious strategy, but that shot was <laughs> not, you know, a lot of body shots tend to produce delayed reaction knockdowns. That one was ow and the air is knocked knocked straight out of him and, and he had to fall so that was impressive i it, we're both regretting something here 
because I thought about switching my pick from Lipsky to Cachoeira, and you regretted switching your pick from Cachoeira to Lipsky. Mm -hmm. So in the end, we, we, we're, we're both lamenting mm. that this uh, Cachoeira went over Lipsky. But I tell you what, Cachoeira can hit mm. for all, as much as I don't really like her as a fighter. She's got power, and God knows why Lipsky, with a pronounced grappling and wrestling edge, decided I'm going to do the one thing mm -hmm. that Cachoeira is great at and, and give like, myself the worst possible way to lose. I tell you what, for all of those people out there that poo-poo on women's MMA and say that there's no power in it, I suggest you go back and watch some of her fights because she has quite a few knockouts. She is powerful. Yeah, she is. I mean, she had a, a, a another knockout. I can't remember. Was it... Um... Yeah, Shana Dobson. Mm -hmm. Shana Dobson was the one that she she absolutely ripped apart. Now, w with the Lipsky case, Lipsky got rocked early, but instead of clinching, she decided to just throw with her. And that's just a bad idea, especially for somebody who doesn't have a, a particularly strong chin either. But that's probably the end for her in the UFC because she's lost three out of four, and she's been stopped in those three fights during her skid. She's just never at any point in her UFC career, maybe the Luana Carolina fight where she got that arm bar, but... Other than that, the UFC version of Lipsky is nothing like the KSW version. At and all. she beat good fighters at KSW. She beat former UFC fighters. I mean, Sheila Gaff, she knocked her out. She beat Silvana uh, Gomez Juarez, who's on the UFC roster. Diana Belbita, I think, is on the UFC roster. If she if she, she isn't, is. she used to be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she 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 has credible wins, but it just never came together. I think though that those wins just because they have the UFC name attached to them doesn't quite make them credible though because the the names you listed aren't all that. Just, those names are gone from the UFC so there's a reason for that. Mhm. Mm yep, th there is and Lipsky's probably got to be added to that too. Exactly. Um Gerald Mearsharts that that surprised me. Yeah, I me mean, too. Some when of did it he... was Lindado was game. pathetically sloppy, <laughs> but um, the club and sub was cool because I think Mirshaw could have knocked him out. Yeah. I mean, he, he needed two more punches and he was gone. But um, and especially on a night where the referees were letting a little bit too much go, mm. um, the Merzikana fight, too long a stoppage. Um, but, the, the you know, the Mirshaw's finish was impressive because he, he had his way with Bruno Blindado. And I said that would be a win that would age well for Alex Pereira. Well, that's looking pretty stupid right now because that was a fantastic showing by Mearshart. Because historically, like if things aren't going his way or if he has a difficult round one, that's the end of it. But he won round one, and he just controlled the, the, the way that the fight was going. Silvic really struggled to land anything cleanly, and it didn't help that he was just throwing these very bad shots. But that, that's an impressive win for Mearshart, and he, he just keeps getting subs, man. When he wins, he submits you. Yes, he does. Yeah, he so could, he could have added a knockout to his resume and he chose not to, but that's okay because maybe he's going for some record here. And yeah, that's fine for, by for, me, you know, yeah. go for your dream. Both submission wins in, in USC middleweight history or something like that. So that was just the main card. I mean, the, the prelims, I mentioned the Quinlan fight. Jason Witt has got maybe one of the worst chins we've ever seen in the UFC. And that's like, it's up there with Jonathan Goulet because him getting hit hard is the immediate end of a fight. But that punch was wicked. You do not throw naked kicks like that without expecting something back. And if you're Ode Osborne, you do not throw flying knees like that against counterpunchers. It was good to see Tyson Nam, after such a lengthy absence, get back in there and showcase his power. His issue has never been his talent. It's the conviction to throw punches. Mm -hmm. He's got the power to throw. It's just he's willing to wait too much. So uh, that was really good. But damn, for as a flyweight... I mean, Nam apparently weighed like 146 on fight day. So he's not going to be licensed at flyweight in California until his weight cutting practices change, apparently. Mm. Um, we just got the fight night weights before we started recording. Marlon Barrow was 151. Cruz was 154. So he's cutting quite a bit as well. He looked a little pudgy, too, more so than he normally does. I think um, Cruz's age and lots and lots of wear and tear on his body because, you know, he's always fighting to decision. Pretty much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all very that... few fights where he's not going all the way to decision. So there's a lot of wear and tear. And then from what I understand, he's obsessive about his training regime, too. So I can't imagine what kind of wear and tear is happening in that gym. 
Yeah, and, and you notice how how much his movement is is normally Gosh. endless movements, mm -hmm. noticeably slowed down without body shots either. Bear was hardly going to the body, but you know it, it's big. Thirty seven years old at bantamweight. That's already mm -hmm. an un, unsavory combination, let alone for somebody with with a million different surgeries as, as Dominic Cruz. But uh, getting back to the prelims. Good for uh, Mowgli Benitez to get a win in front of his home fans. Yes. I, I, I know Charlie Ontiveros isn't really good, but I just like watching him fight. He's a good action fighter, even yeah. if he gets stopped a lot. Good win for Angela Hill. I was worried that yes. judges were going to give that third round to, to Godinez, even though it was so obviously a Hill round. Um, but I was surprised that Godinez didn't wrestle a whole lot. And in fact, Hill was the one wrestling at mm -hmm. times. She mixed up her game very well, and it shows you, until further notice, Angela Hill will still only lose to, to top or, you know, fringe top fighters. So Godinez is not quite there yet. And then uh, Nina Nunes, good for her to, to retire on a win. The fight itself wasn't good. I put a lot of that on Cynthia Calvillo. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what happened. I, she's not with Alpha Male anymore, is she? Nope. So I feel like that's a mistake. because Whoever is responsible for turning her from, like, this really aggressive grappler to now somebody who barely wants to do anything offensively and doesn't seem to be able to mix her striking and wrestling or striking and grappling together, somebody's got to be held accountable for that because she's lost four in a row, and she's looked exceedingly worse with each fight. So Nina Nunes, though, she, she wants uh, she you know just enjoy life as a, as a mother. She's got Amanda Nunes probably following suit, for all we know, not too, not too long from now. I don't think Amanda's going to be fighting much longer either, but uh, Nina had a, had a good career, and I always like it when fighters can – go out on their own terms, go out on a win like that. Because I, I, being married to Amanda, and Amanda has gotten plenty of, of good paychecks, hopefully that would eliminate the need for Nina to, to just end her retirement and, and go back in there and fight. I think when both Nunez's are done fighting, they're done fighting. Also, there was something a little bit deeper here when you peel back the layers. When this fight happened, they kept going on and on about Amanda's new camp, but Nina, while she coaches folks out of the new uh, training center, she was still with ATT for this fight and had them in her corner and everything. So I feel like maybe that will lessen tensions that might ha might be happening. I don't know. I would never want to cast any doubt. This is just me spitballing. But if there were any tensions resulting from that little dichotomy there, uh, at least that is out of the way with this retirement. Nina also says that she wants to continue coaching she wants to you know have more babies blah 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 so i can see a little bit of relief in the atmosphere there with this retirement and not having to split your your allegiance as well yeah that's understandable too and also nuna's nina that is uh had some serious health uh complications lately so it's probably not worth it to, to just sure. continue fighting and then especially so there's no real chance for her to make a title run or anything mm -hmm. but um yeah good career for her happy retirement and uh, even on a even when the fights weren't super exciting like even the lesser fights you still had something worthwhile in there and that's what made this card so enjoyable so back-to-back -back weeks after that disappointing london show back-to-back -back weeks where were you know the, the cards have been even 277 in between wasn't all that great i think mm -hmm. but these last two cards really enjoyable indeed so we're gonna go from a retiring fighter into a guy that's old enough to retire but is still hanging in there at the top and i'm talking about glover Teixeira. and the reason why we're going to talk about glover Teixeira is because yuri prohaska and glover Teixeira will probably go to war again before the end of the year Multiple people with knowledge of the promotion's plans have confirmed the news to MMA Fighting that at UFC 282 on December 10th, these two are going to headline. And oh my gosh, the first fight was so absolutely incredible. Uh, it has to be fight of the year, as you mentioned earlier, po possibly fight of the decade. Um, going into that fifth round though the judges were everywhere scoring with Teixeira up on two cards the third official had it as a draw I mean I thought Prohaska was on his way to losing I really did but 
that didn't happen. I think that uh, Glover's uh, sense of timing was off. Didn't realize that it was just, he was literally seconds away from winning and misjudged and, you know, just had a moment of weakness there. I don't think that'll be the case this time. However, I think that uh, Prohaska will probably come back with a whole different game plan too, because his game plan going in there was just absolutely silly. So I love this. I love this more for, for Glover than, than for Prohaska. At the very least, I love that he's getting another crack at this before it's too late. Um, I like that it's happening before the end of the year. I think this is a wonderful, wonderful idea. Bookie? This was the only thing to do. Mm-hmm. Do a rematch. Yeah. And it's more for selfishly for Glover than it is for Yuri. Yeah. Um, because he was so close. He just needed to not pull on that guillotine. He did not need to be a grappler at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. He did not need to go go back to instinct. But who am I to say? I wasn't the one in there going going strike for strike and having one of the most insane mentally and physically exhausting battles we've ever seen in, in mixed martial arts. But it what that shows is Glover can still get him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Yuri's going to be the favorite. And there, there's no doubt Yuri can knock Glover out. I mean, we just saw him submit Glover, but he absolutely had moments where it looked like Glover was going to get cooked there. And the body shots, I feel, are going to have to be Glover's biggest adjustment yeah. because that noticeably wore him down. But I, I mean, the other options I wouldn't have been against. If you did Yuri versus Big Jan, okay, fine. Um, Prohaska against Ankalaev next with Ankalaev getting mm-hmm. the unfortunate injury TKO went over Anthony Smith, or I guess semi-injury because he stopped him with punches afterward. But this was the best fight to make. I mean, by far, because the first fight was such a classic and Glover is already, what is he, 42? Mm-hmm. So by the time this happens, he's going to be 43, I think, right? Yep. Because he's, I, I don't remember if he's born in 79 or 80, but he's in his 40s. So, so we're, we're really splitting here. here. Does it, does it really matter if he's 42 or 43? He's born in 79. So it'll be 43 by the time this rematch happens. There's no point in going, hey, Glover, you got to win one more fight or two more fights, and then we can talk title shot again. No. Give him one more shot. If he doesn't win it, we move on. If he does win it, who knows? Maybe he retires as the champ. I mean, geez. I don't think so. I don't see it. Because if he takes that belt from Yuri, I mean, he's sitting at the top of the heap all over again with nobody there to challenge him, really. I guarantee you he takes at least one more fight. Yeah, he he probably take an Ankalaya fight. Um, I don't know. He hasn't made the kind of money that he needs to make. You know, he's probably just now making that kind of money. Yeah, probably. I mean, he wasn't. It wasn't like he was a regular pay per view headline or anything because he had what the Jones fight prior to to beating Big Yon. That was his only title fight, and by being a title challenger, no pay per view points. Right. And that was when when Jones was actually, you know, a, a considerable draw and people were constantly tuning in to watch him and paying to watch him. But for, for Teixeira, there are paths to victory for him. We saw how exciting that fight was. I can't remember the scores, but I think it was something like one for Teixeira, one a draw and one for, for Prohaska. Mm-hmm. But Glover was winning the fifth, so he would have taken a decision. So Actually, it says... It says here, Teixeira was going uh, uh, into the fifth, up on two cards, and the third official had it as a draw. So he was winning this pretty much going into the fifth. Yeah, so that means he just needed to not get ta- not get finished any wins because mm-hmm. even if the fifth round had dramatically gone to um, uh, Prohaska, actually, even if that fight had ended in a draw, mm-hmm. it- it's still going to be Teixeira's title. That's because right. he, you know, it, the belt doesn't get vacant or anything. It still would have been into Sheriff's possession. But man, I just can't wait to see this. I hope it does get made for December, and we would end the, the 2022 on a pretty high note. I mean, that that can presumably be the main event unless Jones comes back. We it doesn't look like McGregor's coming back this year. So Glover and Yuri, um, they can advertise that fight just with the highlights of the first fight. Those two don't talk shit towards each other at all. They're, they're, they're so respectful of each other that this is a rematch that you can hype up just on the basis of the first fight was one of the craziest things you'll ever see. And Yuri Prohaska doesn't know how to fight any other way, but remarkably insane. It's controlled chaos in there. It really is. Now, Glover hoping that he can uh, be UFC champion again. 
we know that his career doesn't have too much more left in terms of the number of fights, you know, given his age and everything. One person who is born on the same day, exact same day as Israel Adesanya, Rory McDonald, him and Izzy are both born July 22nd, 1989. Izzy's the champ in middleweight. Rory McDonald is retired. He lost on the PFL playoff card over in Cardiff. He got knocked out by Delano Taylor. And if you didn't see the knockout, it was a hard knockout. Now, we, we've seen Rory get stopped before, you know, the, the second Lawler fight. But this was a hard knockdown and then follow-up punches, and he was done. And Delano Taylor only took the fight on short notice because Magomed Umatalov um, had the – or Umalatov, rather. He had visa problems, so he couldn't make the, the, the card. So Taylor showed up on short notice, got the knockout. Ta- uh, McDonald will not be contesting for the million-dollar prize, as was the case last year. He lost in the semifinals, so he's announced his retirement. You wrote on social media. I won't list the whole thing, but he said, my time has come to put the gloves down for good. I'm so thankful for the sport and every person I've been able to meet along the way. I started this sport as a 14-year-old kid. I still remember my first day knowing this is what I want to spend my life doing. The passion for martial arts and becoming a pro MMA fighter gave me hope and a way to a better life. I'm so thankful to God for putting that Jim Toshido MMA in Kelowna in my path. It truly changed the direction of my life and saved me. What an adventure this career has been. 17 years of professional fighting. It all came and went so fast. So many painful trainings that are etched into my being, traveling to all parts of the planet and meeting so many people. And then he went on to thank USC, Bellator, and PFL. He thanked his coaches, training partners, and managers. There's that key line there, 17 years of professional MMA fighting. He's 33 years old. Uh, You do not need to be great at arithmetic to figure out that's more than half. 17 years out of 33. And he, he... look to be the next big thing in the UFC because one of the things that uh, got him some hype is he was the first or one of the first UFC fighters to quote unquote, just be training MMA specifically, not be a specialist who, who learned other bits of MMA, like actual proper MMA gyms, et cetera, et cetera. And he got Carlos Condit in a second UFC fight. That's how high they were on him. He lost that fight, but it was a really entertaining bout. He eventually beat, the likes of Nate Diaz and BJ Penn. He lost to Robbie Lawler in their first fights, and then he had his title fight against Lawler in the rematch, and that one was an all-time classic. And in many ways, it probably broke Rory McDonald because he never looked the same after that, even in some of his wins. You got glimpses of the old Rory, but in in the end, we got an old Rory, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. He still had many other quality wins, Damian Maya, Tyron Woodley, um, Tarek Safadine, a name that's often lost to history. Uh, so for, for Rory, he ends his career at 23-10-1, just 2-4 in PFL. He did get to be champion in Bellator uh, when he beat uh, Douglas Lima, but he, he tried to be a champ champ in Bellator, and that went very poorly when he took on Gegard Mousasi, lost that fight, also lost to um, Douglas Lima in the Bellator World to Weight Tournament Final and thus lost his title. But... You know, it felt like this this was coming. So yet another retirement. I mean, we this has been the year of fighters walking away from the sport. Some of them we know are probably going to be back in a year. But others, it feels like this really is the end of the line. And I don't know if you got to see the, the Rory fight, but that looked like somebody who, who just had nothing left to give. I did. And man, it, it was a stark reminder of what this sport does to people. And if you look at how many times he bounced around, and there was a moment when he was retired. Am I right? Didn't he retire after Bellator and then, you know, six months later signed on with PFL? Uh, he, he had talked about uh, yeah. wanting to leave the sport. I mean, remember when he had that, he had kind of like the religious, I'm not sure if he wanted to hurt people anymore. Yeah, he had that coming of age experience, that that moment where the, I guess like uh, alcoholics call it a moment of clarity or a moment of lucidity. But for him, maybe that was that, that ray of light shining down from the clouds that makes you think God's really up there. I don't know. But he retired briefly. I'm sure of it. And if he, if my, my brain is off, he should have retired about that. But I'm glad he has now. I hope it sticks. I really do. But you never can tell with, with people anymore. There's very few that I can look at and say, that one will stay retired. Khabib so far. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've, I've gotten the sense in recent years that Rory has been ambivalent towards fighting. Mm-hmm. It might not have always been the case, but certainly 
these last few years. Um, it looked like his heart was not fully in it. But unlike Uriah Hall, there was a you know considerable combination here of heart not fully in it, not physically in their prime anymore. Right. And he, I mean, even the win against Douglas Lima, remember his leg got torn up in that fight. He was limping to that finish. And if there was a fictitious sixth round, maybe Lima would have gotten him out there. But, you know, the Neiman Gracie fight is probably one of his last decent wins. That Gleason Tebow fight was a robbery. But the Ray Cooper fight, he didn't look good. He couldn't deal with Cooper's wrestling. And that was a fight where he thought, you know, Cooper's power. Maybe just maybe we see Ray Cooper in the third try and knock Rory out. And instead, Rory just couldn't deal with the takedowns. And then in this fight, he can't deal with Delano Taylor's stand-up. So at that point, you know, the, the million-dollar tournaments is, is just – it's not worth going through that grind because it's a pretty busy schedule. I mean, Roy fought in May, July, and August. And he fought in April, June, and August of last year. That's one of the things with PFL is that's a, a very tight turnaround. That's and, a whole lot of training. When do you peak when you're fighting that much? Yeah. And for somebody who didn't fight at all in 2020, after the Lima fight, he skipped, missed all of 2020. And, of course, this pandemic began, so there was no PFL season anyway. But since he signed with PFL, six fights in two years. And he hadn't even been that active in his most, you know, busy moments in the UFC. So at some points, you know, you just hit that wall. Yeah, you do. And it sucks, man. Rory, I, I really like watching Rory McDonald at his absolute best. It just does feel like that that Lawler fight snatched his soul in the same way that the Lawler Condit fight snatched the souls of seemingly both men. Condit was never the same. At least Lawler managed to has yeah. managed some moments of looking good. Condit less so. But those two fights back to back had incredibly like incredibly damaging moments and, and long lasting moments on both of those fighters. And I'm talking about Rory and Carlos. Mm-hmm. So all the best to them. And yeah, did, did Condit retire this year or last year? Last year. Last year. So yeah, we, we so the, the retirements have been coming thick and fast for quite some time but i know condit's a businessman right so he he has that going i don't know what rory plans to do post fighting um take up parishioning <laughs> <laughs> better that than than the jokes we used to make about rory yeah the serial killer <laughs> hiding in somebody's trunk ready to pop out and take his next victim <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> now speaking of pfl shane burgos man Going from UFC to PFL, he he announced to Ariel Hawani that he um, is signing off for a two-season deal with PFL. He will take a fight in the promotion later this year, I guess the the season finale, and then enter the tournament proper. So I don't know if the UFC lowballed him, because keep in mind Dana White had said after the Jordan fight that they're going to resign him. I suspect they lowballed him. Mm -hmm. And then the other part is, as much as I like Shane Burgos, the, the upward mobility for him at featherweights was looking pretty nasty. It was looking yeah. pretty bleak. And, and he got this gift decision over Jordan too. So he at least gets to go over there on a win and get a little hype going. And the, the competition over there might actually be his speed, his level where he might be able to do well. Who knows? But every time somebody goes over to PFL, uh, Rory Mack excluded in this particular conversation, Seems like they could go over there and they fight tough and hard. Yeah, and see, we got to make a dis- diff- you know an important distinction between when Rory and Pettis go to PFL, mm-hmm. they're demonstrably past their prime. Exactly, and that's why they're finding it hard to beat fighters that the general public doesn't know about, or or other fighters that we know are on the up and up, and even fellow UFC veterans like Pettis and Stevie Ray were in the UFC at the same time for a while. Mm-hmm. But there's much more left in the tank for Stevie Ray than there is for Pettis. That's true. Uh, so when you look at the PFL tournaments, um, featherweights, you've got Chris Wade and you got Bubba Jenkins, Brendan Lochnan. Uh, we'll, we'll see how this will go uh, with, with this weekend's semifinals. But um, I, I feel like that's a division where if Burgos can wrestle defensively effectively, he's got some of the, mm-hmm. not even some of the, probably the best striking, uh, at least offensively, on that roster. Now this is pending who else they signed for next year, but you would absolutely install Shane Burgos as one of the, uh, the favorites to win the tournament. And you know what? He might actually be able to bounce back and forth a little bit too. He's big enough. Yeah. He probably could make lightweight lightweight. and and featherweight for sure. 
Mm-hmm. So, so you think about it from from Burgos' side, and, and for as long as PFL is going to exist and have these these tournaments with the million dollar pot of gold at the end, what sounds better financially for you? The possibility that you can make a one million dollar payday by winning a tournament with seemingly lesser competition is not always necessarily the case. In fact, it very often isn't. Or go through the grind of being in a much deeper UFC featherweight division with the hopes of getting $250,000 to challenge Volkanovski for the belt. Or There's an obviously quicker path to getting a big payday. Exactly. And there's a quicker path to getting more fights. Because when you're in that tournament structure, you could be fighting three, four, five times a year. Whereas over here in the UFC, you're lucky if you get three in a year. Yeah, and the, the rules help, too, because you don't have elbows allowed. Right. Um, which is an annoyance to me, but I understand why they do it for the tournaments and, and, and that format. But it, you can be busier. And if PFL plans to expand their, their schedule moving forward, there could be opportunities for, for, for fighters, even if they're not affiliated with the tournament uh, necessarily. So good for Burgos. Hopefully it works out. Not every fighter is best suited for, for the PFL situation. They might be better suited for Bellator, but as long as fighters are able to explore their options effectively, and, and apparently what Burgos said is the UFC allowed him to waive that little negotiating offer window mm. so that he could explore his options, you know, more power to them. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, and at least they didn't. I don't think they've had any animosity or anything towards Burgos because they put him on the main card mm-hmm. of a show on Long Island. I think they like Shane Burgos. It's a matter of Shane Burgos looking out for himself and his family. This wasn't one of those where the UFC is doing a fighter dirty, shoving them on the prelims right. with with an impossible matchup, and then booting them out and trying to suppress their value after they leave. And good on him for sitting on that a little bit and getting that good five star treatment without them really knowing what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what more fighters need to do. I think when you make a lot of public ruckus, they try to stick it to you. Mm-hmm. There are a couple other minor news items that uh, I'll just briefly mention. Derek Brunson against Jack Hermanson, December 3rd. Uh, that's going to be a fight night show. And I've just seen Dominic Reyes, remember him, yeah. against Ryan Spann at UFC 281. That's so- a good one. I like that fight. Yes, that's a fun fight. I think uh, that that's also a good type of fight for Reyes to have because, man, the, the Jones fight was a grind. The the Blahovich fight was a beatdown. And then Yuri put him to just shut off his, his shut off his brain there. So, yeah, he, he needed a, a step down. So 281's looking good. Brunson Hermanson's all right. I hope Brunson wins. Uh, but because there's been talk that Brunson might retire. Wow. I think he said he wants to do one more fight. After the, the um, loss to Cannoneer, he said he wanted to do one more fight. When he, You know what? If and when he retires, he's another one I feel will stay. And that's because he's a frugal person. He manages his money well. I think that when he's probably planned and plotted this for a few years now, and I firmly believe when Derek Brunson retires, he will probably stay retired. Yep, probably so. Now, uh, there was some other combat sports action over the weekend, starting with Bellator. Boy, did we get this one wrong. Goichi Yamauchi. My God. When did he start looking like that? Yeah, to, as a former featherweight, he looks perfect at welterweight. He's huge. My God. What was he cutting from? Like 190? Know, I looked at him and I was like, Jesus Christ, he's an action figure. Yeah, he must be cutting from like Patty Pimblet weight. <laughs> If anybody saw Patty at that uh, UFC San Diego goodness. card, yeah, he, he's been Patty's been loading up on the patties, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and he loves he loves American barbecue. They keep filming him trying different American foods. I'm obsessed with it because one, I like listening to him describe it. It takes me running the tape back three or four times to understand everything. Man, watching him eat that barbecue sandwich and say that one. That one is fucking delicious. Yeah, well, we, you know, given he comes from England, if he's not eating, you know, Caribbean food or, or Indian food there, mm-hmm. if he's having the standard uh, mushy peas and gravy, uh, 
<laughs> the bar for experiencing proper flavor is very low. Exactly. Because so I barbecue think... will blow his mind away. Exactly. And the barbecue, um, apparently somebody recognized some, some of the packaging and the barbecue is like your, your, he, uh, Piddle called it the, the olive garden of barbecue. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, not Matt's barbecue, Adam's, I can't remember the name. Yeah. But it's kind of like some some standard thing. Yeah, and he was just loving it. He also liked the tacos, but uh, the other stuff he wasn't really a big fan of. Boy, if the UFC has a card in Memphis or Kansas City, mm. Patty's going to be going, you know what? Vegas is all right. I can try their buffets later. Take me. I want to be on that UFC Memphis card. Charleston. Put me on that Memphis show. Charleston, South Carolina has some good Carolina barbecue, too. Yep. Anyway, um. Back to before I, I exit the show early and then just go order something. Uh, <laughs> Gochi Yamauchi just knocking out Nima Gracie with a beautiful uppercut. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew that Yamauchi could strike, but damn. I mean, he's got that power, but he's only got three knockout wins out of 28. We know that he wants to grapple, but uh, that that was some good stuff. And that's it for me picking Gracie's in these types of fights, too. Oh. I should know better. <laughs> but well, there, t- if there's a Gracie... They will go one step too far and get knocked out by somebody who can hit harder and In strike fairness, better. We all picked them, so. Yep, but uh, yeah, that that was uh, a, a brutal finish. I love me a, a good uppercut, so that was great stuff by Yamauchi. And if he's fitting into welterweight pretty nicely, we could have a new contender. I mean, Neiman Gracie's a former title challenger, so you think about what Yamauchi could do at 170. Him against uh, Amasov down the line. Might not be an impossibility, or him against Logan Storley. Ooh. I dread to think what he would do against MVP. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if he MVP is not exactly a very difficult person to get to the ground, he would he would make him his personal grappling dummy. But that would be cool. And also uh, Austin Vanderford, that didn't go well for him. Aaron Jeffrey stopping him in like eighty five <laughs> seconds. So I, I, we got to reexamine the Musasi domination of him as <laughs> being one of the worst title challengers Bellator's had in a while. Yeah. So sure. we had we had that. We also had Teofimo Lopez back in action, stopping Pedro Campa, uh, pretty much fodder for him to, to a get-well fight. Mm-hmm. And Teofimo uh, it says that he wants to return December 10th, which would be Heisman Trophy night, the college football uh, best player in the country award. So that's a big night in American sports. And um, the, UFC, the UFC's got a pay-per-view that night, 282. We just talked about with Yuri and Glover. So Top Rank's not doing a pay-per-view. So Teofimo's delusional if he thinks <laughs> Top Rank's going to do a pay-per-view as well. But he'll probably be on that card. Will he be against Josh Taylor or any of the top dogs at 140? Also unlikely because they're tied up with other fights. Uh, but Ryan Garcia could be a wild card here because Oscar was at the fight. And th- there's been talk that, you know, if, if the tank fight doesn't happen, perhaps we could see Ryan Garcia against Teofimo Lopez. I am hugely skeptical that happened because I don't feel like this is the type of fight to be made without a title on the line. But if they're in the mood to make it happen... I'm not going to complain that there's no belt at stake. Oh, me neither. I like the fight. Let's have it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, and it's an idea that's, look, at 135, where we're talking about Teofimo, Ryan Garcia, Lomachenko, Devin Andy Gervonta, it's very possible that a few of these guys are going to go up to 140. So, okay, we didn't get to see them fight each other 135. We might see them at 140, though, and that's an extremely deep division. So I I really want to see Teofimo against better competition. I watched the whole fight. I am still very worried about Lopez's nonchalant nature of defending punches. I, if Campa was a better fighter, maybe that would have been more interesting. But offensively, there's no doubt he's gifted. I, I just wish he cut out the um, the lunging, the, the jumping punch. <laughs> yeah. He thinks he's doing a Superman punch. I know. I, I hate that, too. He did a back fist, too, I believe, which is not legal um, in boxing. But, uh, you know, he's creative that way. And also, he's got to get away from his dad as his main main guy. I mean, they celebrated. He celebrated that win, did Lopez Sr., like they had just won the belts back. So, I mean, it, it, hopefully he can stay active, fight again in December. And then 2023, it could be him against Ryan Garcia or Josh Taylor or Jose Ramirez or Jose Zepeda or Regis Progre. A lot of available fights for him at 140 that can be made. So I'm looking forward to seeing what is next for Teofimo because he's still only 25. That Cambosos loss sucked, and it's not likely to age well. But he's still a phenomenal talent, and he did beat Lomachenko. So that's still got to matter. It has to. It has to. And he seems to be getting himself back on track, too. 
I, mm -hmm. I noticed that his tweets have changed a lot because there for a while he was really, really starting to worry people. Mm -hmm. You know what this weekend is, though, right? Yes, I do. It's Usyk fight it's week, Usyk baby. Usyk week. <laughs> Usyk's bulked up, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing given his style, but he, hope... he looks like he's going to be a bit bigger. I don't like it. I hope he makes it work, but I don't like it. I think part of the reason why his movement is so awesome is because he's slender and lithe. And, you know, you take that away and, man, and and you also got to figure in, too, that Joshua is a freaking beast in rematches. And he's, you know, he's going to do everything in his power to ensure a victory. So I don't like this combination at all. I'm still going to pick Usyk, but I'm really, really concerned about this b bulking up crap. Yeah, we'll see if it's bulking up in advance with the possibility of a Fury fight mm -hmm. because Tyson, I, I urge reporters to stop reporting <laughs> or, or writing up anything that Tyson Fury says <laughs> uncritically because I've lost count. He re He's retired more than McGregor and Brett Favre combined. Yeah. So, and and that, uh, come on, the idea that he's coming out of retirement to fight Chisora for a third time when he's already beaten him twice. How did anybody think that was was a story worth running? Yeah. So, so like, come on. <laughs> I, I don't think he's done at fighting. I do want to see Usyk versus Fury. That would be a little bit unfulfilling. It, it would be a little unfulfilling if we never got to see him fight either Joshua or Usyk. But for me, selfishly, Usyk in particular. Yeah. And you got to remember, too, it was his 34th birthday. And Tyson Fury is one of the biggest, pro you know, and I say this literally because physically he's probably the biggest attention whore in combat sports. I mean, it was his way of getting some attention for two things. Oh, 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 I'll go ahead and put out another retirement rumor. And I've turned 34 today, so I'm retiring. So he, he also drew attention to the fact that it was his birthday. Mm -hmm. But that's how he works. When when he's bored and not enough people are paying attention to him, then he goes off on some wild Twitter tangent, Instagram tangent, whatever, and does something silly like this. Stop taking it to heart. It ain't real. No, it isn't. Now, I was about to end the show, but there's one other thing that happened in combat sports over the weekend that I didn't put in the show layout, but I know that I had to bring up. Anton. Anton Tablina, yes. our own bloody elbow editor here, competed in a Muay Thai card, competed on a Muay Thai card uh, over the weekend, and he has it on his, on his uh, Twitter feed, so you can see the video yourself. He won by knockout. And it was and it was a It was a faceplant knockout, too. Yeah, I have retweeted it myself, so if you don't follow Anton, just go look on my feed. It's got, I quote tweeted it, and it says, this is my editor, in all capital letters, but yeah, it was nasty gnarly. Yes, he, he's been in Thailand lately. Um, he, he had uh, a, a separate grappling tournament, I think, not too long ago, and so did Milan, by the way, uh, one of our other Bloody Elbow colleagues. But that's awesome to see, so I guess I got to follow his orders now. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> I got to be on my best behavior with with, uh, with Anton moving forward, knowing what he could do to the whole staff. <laughs> exactly. So, all, everybody says that that you know staff writers and, and people who write in, in MMA are just a bunch of keyboard warriors. That ain't the case for Anton. He can fight, too. Yeah, that's right. And so can uh, Andrew from MMA Mania. And Eddie Mercado, too. And Eddie Mercado. So we've got a squad, everybody. That's right. Anyway, um, that's it for this week's show. You can follow me on Twitter at Mookie Alexander, Stephia Crooklyn, Crooklyn MMA, the show at Mookie and Crookie. And we're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Mookie and Crookie. You can listen to me and Stephia alongside Victor Rodriguez on the Level Change podcast on Fridays. We'll make our UFC 278 picks and more in that episode. Stephanie's on Carry Don't Care with Eugene S. Robinson and John Nash on Mondays. And there should be a few cares, I would think, for this card. I have some cares. The boys have some cares, but there weren't a whole lot because yes. this card's kind of deceitful. You're going to pay $80 for basically three, possibly four fights because while there are some good fights on the card, they're not pay-per-view quality. They're fight night quality. And I'm kind of pissy about this, this whole card. I think there could be some fun fights on this card. Right, but, but they're at least accidental. The they're incidental, basically, because, you know, they... they you're going to get that on all the cards, but for the, the value, the paper value, you're not getting what you're supposed to be getting for 80 freaking dollars. Well, the top three fights I'm fine with, although, yes. although Devalish Village should be the co-main over yep. Costa Rockhold, and yep. it should be five rounds. Yep. 
Tybura Romanov at yep. high elevation. Yep. I hope Romanov wins that fight in about two and a half seconds. Yep. <laughs> Those are the only four on there, though. The top three and that one. I don't know what Tyson Pedro's fight is doing on the main card. I didn't even realize he was still in the UFC until his, his last fight the, the other day. But <laughs> 278 looks like a fantastic pay-per-view when you look at 279. Mm. Yeah, that, that one... Uh, mm. Let, let's put it this way. 280, 281, and 282 should have a lot more cares than the 278 and 279 show. 279, anyway. I look at that one, you know, the, the the cartoon guy from The Simpsons, and he's looking through the slits of his eyes. That's how I'm looking at 279. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's one where it is very, very important that Hamzat has his visa in, in order and that he can make right? this fight. <laughs> because that one falls off. Ain't nobody paying for this. Yep. Anyway, if you want to know where else you can find Bloody Elbow Presents podcast, you just wait till the very end. You'll get the full list in the pre-recorded outros told by yours truly. So until next time, please take care of yourselves and join us again for our next show. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA depressed us. Crooklyn's Corner. Exclusive fighter interviews. Show money. And radio style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow. Facebook, at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog. And as always, on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>